Welcome back to Revise and Resubmit, a 10-ish minute podcast where I chat with academic writers about their approach to writing. I'm your host, Dr. Cameron Brown, assistant professor in the Couple, Marriage, and Family Therapy program at Texas Tech University. On today's episode of Revise and Resubmit, I have with me Dr. Elizabeth Sharp, Professor of Human Development and Family Studies, as well as the Director of Women's and Gender Studies, where she is currently taking students for the graduate minor. Her work has been published in HDFS, Sociology, Psychology, and Family Therapy journals and cited by media worldwide, including the New York Times, the Toronto Star, and Women at Forbes. She's been on radio shows in Canada and New Orleans, as well as the TEDx stage here in Lubbock. Her work with choreographers is featured on the London School of Economics and Political Science website. She is also currently collaborating with colleagues in the business school on projects related to Time's Up and Hashtag Me Too. She has lived in England for two years, as well as was a visiting scholar at Durham University. Dr. Sharp, thank you very much for being on the show with us. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. I want to know, what is the most prominent struggles you have encountered when writing, and how do you overcome them? Okay. I have two prominent struggles, and one um, has never left me. It started when I was a grad student, and it's that I don't know enough. I don't know enough to write, um, so so then I get stymied. Um, I think that this, now I've understood it after many years, is that um, I think it's actually a real phenomena because we are an interdisciplinary field, and I, there is always more to read. Um, so I think it's actually a healthy um, sort of struggle and I know lots of people face it, but the fact of not knowing enough, instead of like getting stuck by that now, instead I get action steps and I just make sure I read a lot more. Um, we have an explosion of journals, right? Uh, we are asked to know, um, especially interdisciplinary fields, you're asked to know, you know, lots of different disciplines and pull them all together. So one thing that um, to overcome this struggle is I just acknowledge it, like, yes, and I'm never going to know enough. So that's the first tough thing to do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then I take some action steps. Well, let, let me get to know more. Let me feel more confident about this. And um, so one of the things I do, not only do I read some of the academic journals, but I'll read like popular press books because those are sometimes more enjoyable in terms of like, um, me keeping my thoughts on the topic I'm writing about. And so I'll be reading like sort of the popular press while I'm also reading the um, academic journals. Um, so I do that. The other thing that I do is I will write about my struggles. So I will just take 10 minutes one day and just say, why can't I write today? Like what, what's the barrier with this paper right now? And if I allow myself, I time myself 10 minutes. And if I, and I tell myself, you know, don't stop for any reason. Do not correct my spelling or my pronunciation or any, you know, I mean, my um, punctuation. So I do that and I don't know, it frees something up in your brain. And I find that a lot of times it's, some, it's emotional. And so by doing that, I can attend to my, emotion, my emotions, right? Which is part of this. I'm frustrated. I feel that uh, maybe I'm an imposter, that like, oh, what am I doing writing on this topic at this point in my career? It's sort of veered off. And am I really an expert? And I sort of hate that word in a way because it has so many um, expectations that are connected to it. So that's one way I deal with not knowing enough. Um, how, how did this, so almost kind of like a journaling when you get yeah. stuck. 
how did you get to that point? Like, how did you say like, this is what's working for me? Did you, this just an idea that popped into your mind or were you just overcome with frustration and all of a sudden just words started pouring out on a paper right in the manuscript that you're working on? How did you get to that? It's such a unique and great idea. I think that um, I was struggling as a grad student writing my dissertation and somebody just oh, gave me this. Su- yeah, yeah the, somebody <laughs> just gave me the suggestion, like, just do this 10 minute free writing exercise. Um, and so that's when I started it. And then it's funny that I sometimes forget about it. I mean, I tell other people to do it, and then I don't do it myself. And even this summer, I was struggling with a particular paper. And I'm like, what is the barrier here? And so that is, it was just a suggestion. And one of the things I do um, is I um, co-direct the Women Faculty Writing Program here at Texas Tech. Um, And so I kind of... We work really hard. My, the other, the other co-director is uh, Kristen Missouri. She is the she's in the uh, the University Writing Center, and she and I um, work really hard at making sure other faculty members on this campus are productive. And how do we do that? Well, we create a community of writers. We um, have a space. We create this space where they talk for half an hour before they start writing for two and a half hours. And in that half an hour that we all come together, well, there's different groups. Um, the faculty are, they, the space we've created lets them be vulnerable and say these things like, I don't know enough, I'm stuck here. And what you start finding out, if you talk to other writers, a lot of people struggle with this. this and one of the fundamental things is we're just not good enough. We don't know enough. Um, and to, there's something very um, freeing about understanding other people are struggling with this. And so we tell them about the, the free writing. We also tell them there's this great article, um, it's called um, Writing Shitty Drafts. Sorry for the bad word. Um, <laughs> but it's the idea that you just get something out because you can revise it later. And so that's one of the articles we give um, the folks in our writing program. Yeah, well, and that's so interesting because in many ways that goes against the grain of and of my experiences with academic writing of just, you should just get down and do it. If you're talking with others or talking with others about your writing, you are wasting time that could be dedicated towards writing. So I think that's fascinating. And it sounds like that you've found a lot of success with uh, faculty that have been a part of that where there's that dedicated time of, of either venting or expressing your experiences or frustrations or even just relating with one another about writing and then taking a big chunk and that seems to have been more successful. Absolutely. And then not only the sort of venting and sharing the frustration, but we quickly move to problem solving in those spaces. So we'll say, hey, have you tried the Permodoro technique? Have you read this article? Um, Have you done your Sunday meetings, which sets up your whole week for when you're writing? So it's a space where we also offer a lot of solutions. And one of the things we've learned is that we just keep throwing out ideas because every writer is different Um, and so you got to find out what works for you and what doesn't so you try a lot of things is what I ask people to experiment well and I think that's brilliant this idea of like a writing community a writing community and that seems to really be catching on jumping from 15, 17 to over 100 now. That's incredible. Right. And so Kristen also started with grad students on this campus. And so it's the same format. Uh, So any of our Texas Tech grad students could join this um, program. And it's also highly effective there. So the idea, you have to commit three hours, one time a week. So let's say you're on Mondays from 1 to 4. 1 to 1.30, you're talking, um, connecting. And then the next two and a half hours, you're writing. And you've set your goals 
And then every week you come in and you say what you did, what you didn't do. Um, and so we're finding, yeah, and people join every year. And a couple of people think it's the best thing at this university. Wow, that's incredible. And this kind of parallels with, you've been a really large champion for collaboration, both within field, uh, sister fields, and even just maybe some people would call it as unrelated fields. <laughs> yes. um, I know recently that you've been collaborating with uh, dancers and choreographers and things of that nature. Can you speak a little bit more about your experiences with collaboration, maybe how those came about and what those have kind of blossomed into? Sure. So the collaboration with um, the choreographers and dancer came about because our university had a call, the vice president of research, their office wanted innovative um, projects and they were gonna give some money for this. And so I had already known my colleague in um, dance for a long time. Her name's um, Genevieve Durham de Cicero. And we were running one day and she said, you know, Elizabeth, you know about this call? And I said, yeah. And she said, and she knew about my research and I knew a little bit about what she did, but you know, not fully. I had known more about like her pedagogy practices and things like that. And she and I had always aligned on feminist sensibilities. And she said, you know, what if I have some of your qualitative data and uh, make it into dance? And I'm like, what? Um, I'm like, how could this happen? Yeah. Like, uh, and then I thought, okay, let's try it. Like, let's take a risk. <laughs> All um, right. And so I said, and I liked the idea. I just didn't know how this could ever be, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm trained as a social scientist, so the whole somebody like trying to make dance yeah, from this my doesn't feel words. scientific or yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we wrote the grant, uh, and then we got it. So, you know, sometimes you write the grant and you just, you know, of course, you never know what happened. Yeah. Then we got it. We're like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Uh, what do I we do we now? we got to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And um, so that became a process of intense collaboration because when, you know, at the point we did not realize that we were going to, um, it was as big of a project as it actually was. And so when we got into it, of course, we had already, you know, to write the proposal, we had already looked at um, some of the transdisciplinary collaborations and things like that. But what we learned from the literature was that basically the social scientist would would take their raw data and, you know, um, do some analysis and then give the artist, typically someone in theater, the themes. So the choreographer, the artist, did not get to engage with the actual data. They got the findings. That's what we saw across. And Genevieve was insistent that she wanted the raw data. Wow. She was gonna do her own analysis. Wow. And I'm like, whoa, again, like that was super uncomfortable for me. So one of the things we write about in our book, and our book is the same title, Ordinary Wars, Doing Transdisciplinary Research, is the intense discomfort that actually she had it as well, and that we had to um, channel this discomfort into something actually very productive. But we had to sit in it for a while and ask ourselves a lot of questions, because this particular project um, had, did change me as a scholar because it questioned every single thing that I had understood, um, you know, in big questions, ontological, uh, you know, epistemological questions that I had, you know, learned as a social scientist and was holding on to really tightly. And you can't do that if you're going to collaborate across other disciplines that do not 
like she's more postmodern in her paradigm. And I realized I was trained, you know, more post-positivism, to yeah. be fair. You know, and I had moved after my, my graduate experience uh, more into critical paradigms, but I had never moved that far along the continuum into like a postmodern sensibility, which I was, um, which I needed to do to some extent when I worked with yeah. a choreographer, yeah. a dancer at the first. Well, and so you're, you're really offering of when, when collaborating with others, really kind of embracing the discomfort, embracing the complexity, and really seeing that as a part of the process. And as, as someone who has seen this production, it's extremely powerful and moving. Where would you send our listeners that wanted to learn more about or possibly see this production? Um, where, where could we direct them? Okay, so we have a website, and it's just ordinarywars.org, or it's on the London School of e Economics website, and you can you know Google impact of social science, dance, social science. Um, so those are two places that you can find it. Um, and we've written a lot about it. That's the other thing that she and I had made a um, commitment to write together. And that actually has been fantastic, and it's also been you know struggles as well because her writing was a bit different than mine. Social scientists tend to be more formulaic, right? Um, so she actually, working on that project and this particular collaborator, helped me um, unleash some of my creativity that I feel like was kind of squelched during... Almost suppressed or... Yeah, yeah, because of the sort of more formulaic overall that the social science journals demand. Um, and so now some of my writing, like one of my recent publications in the Journal of Family Issues, it's called Betty Crocker versus Betty Friedan, um, <laughs> the meaning of wifehood in a post-feminist era. Yeah. I am much more creative. What, what, what a witty title. That's really good. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and it, I don't know if that would have happened. Like, what have I yeah. been that um, daring, shall we say? Yeah. Because in that particular article, I use my social science data, these interviews, and I juxtapose them with Betty Friedan's book, The Feminine Mystique, which was, you know, published in 1963. And so I'm comparing and contrasting. And I actually use quotes from Betty Friedan's book. I don't think I would have done that prior. No, I know I wouldn't have done that prior to working with um, Genevieve on this transdiscipline. Because what happened was I became more creative. And why do all my articles just have to only examine the data at hand? Why can't they be in conversation more so with the larger cultural context. But my point there is that um, I take more risks now, and I, I started doing it with this particular project um, in this collaboration. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, thank you very much for being on the episode with us today, uh, Dr. Sharp. We really, really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Revise and Resubmit is proudly supported by Texas Tech University's Department of Community, Family, and Addiction Sciences as well as my program, Couple Marriage and Family Therapy. Want to see more about what we do, our research, and our fantastic undergraduate and graduate programs? Find us on the web by simply searching for Texas Tech CFAS. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Revise Podcast, or find us on the web at bit.ly slash Revise Podcast. Share your writing tips, ideas, or someone you want to hear on the show. Special thanks to our fantastic doctoral students, Benjamin Finlayson and Doug McPhee, for assisting in the production of this podcast. Join us on the next submission of Revise and Resubmit.